you have your Bibles with you this morning or your favorite app, would you please turn to Mark 9. Mark 9 will be in verses uh, 42 through 50. Mark 9, 42 through 50. We're going to be jumping around. In fact, I have about three passages that we're going to be working in between this morning, but that's going to be sort of the central part of the text that we're going to be dealing with. If you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word? May you hear the Word of Christ. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hurled, uh, hung on his neck and he was hurled into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands than go to hell, to the unquenchable fire that is there. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into the pits of hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Where there is the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for gathering us this day. A day in which we celebrate Palm Sunday, where all people were gathered in order to receive their king as he marched on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. Humble and lowly, and yet their eyes were awaiting, but their hearts were expectant. And so, Lord, may we be the same. May our eyes be searching and aware, but our hearts expectant that you have shown yourself through your scriptures, will show yourself through your scriptures, and will show yourself in our own lives. So, Lord, we offer these things in your name this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Tough passage this morning for sure, but I think we're going to make it through. Once it comes to dealing with this passage, um, I think one thing that comes to mind, and that is discipline. Discipline, that's not one of those weighty words that we can't wait to explore. Because when we think of discipline, we don't really think of that ten-letter word as something that we love doing, right? Who woke up this morning and said, can't wait to be disciplined today? Can't wait to be so disciplined in my life that... I will show myself and my body and entirety of whom I I am to be a better mom, dad, a better husband, better wife, a better, I don't know, athlete, whatever it might be. Discipline is that word that we are very weary of. We're scared of it. We tend to run away from discipline. But this morning, I hope that when we Uh, after this message, we see discipline through a different lens, a much different lens. Because when we think of that 10-letter word, we typically, what comes to mind are athletes, 
who are disciplined. Those Olympians or maybe those professional athletes who discipline their bodies to the extent that they are running the race with the highest standards and expectancy in order to beat some of the best in the world. Or maybe we even think of our own lives, those who are meeting on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 3 to 4 p.m., the workouts, the times where we look at our bodies and we say, you know what, I can do this a little bit better to strengthen my heart. Once it comes to understanding workouts, we have these friends in Raleigh, North Carolina, where uh, when I have to go and visit for school there, uh, husband, wife, who have five children, that's a workout in and of itself. But they decided a few years ago that they would compete against each other by running a thousand miles. Each of them racing before the other within a year's time to hit that thousandth mile. And Sarah tends to beat Chris nearly every single year. But yet, here they are five children, both of them working full-time, and they are competing against one another in order to hit a thousandth mile every year. That takes a great amount of discipline, church, something that I'm not ready for, but somehow they do it. Or maybe we think of discipline as that skill or trade that you have, that ability that maybe your father or mother gave to you and their father and mother passed down to your father and mother. That skill, that ability. I have this friend who works on wood, and it was he's a third-generation woodworker. This is his hobby on the side, but it's excellent, the kind of crafting that he can do because he has been skilled in the type of labor of using his hands. That requires a great amount of discipline. But if we look at the word discipline next to the word disciple... I think you can see the great similarities that are there. And I don't want to push too far and to really give you a cl uh, any clear understanding of the, of the similarities between those two because that's what our sermon is going to be about. But I want you just to hear it. Discipline, disciple. Because when we look at those two words, or especially the ten-letter word of discipline, we don't think of our spiritual walk as disciplined. But as today, we'll look at this passage and we'll see that it greatly is and it requires a great amount of discipline. So this is definitely uh, still within the range of what we're looking at in the month of April of kid discipleship. And I didn't make this clear last week, but let me make it very clear now is that you don't have to be a parent or grandparent in order to better understand of how we can disciple kids. You can do this in your own work. If you're in a setting in the schools, you can do this uh, with other people's children. We are all called to the task of discipling children in some shape or form. So when we look at kid discipleship, it is a calling for all of us because Jesus himself receives all children. We too, as his disciples, need to receive all children as well. So parents... We who are disciples of Jesus, how do we discipline our children in the ways of Jesus? And what ways, what specific ways do we uh, discipline our children and train them in the disciplines of Jesus? Let me make this very clear. What Christ-like disciplines 
do we train ourselves in personally? We train ourselves in so that we can train our children in. That's the question that we're going to be looking at today. Let me say it one more time. What Christ-like disciplines do we train ourselves in so that we can better train our children in those same disciplines? When we look at Mark 9, uh, do you think Jesus was trying to get his, t- uh, his audience's attention? I mean, very shocking language when you read verses 42 through 50. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What about your feet? Oh, yeah, go ahead and cut those off too. Your eyes, mm, causing issues, pluck it out. This is very shocking language. And so when we see Jesus in this context, we need to keep in mind that he's being metaphorical. All right? There have been plenty of church fathers in the early 500 years where it's, it's humorous that they took this literally. And so they started cutting body parts off because they were preventing them from growing in the ways of Christ. So he's being metaphorical. Or as I teach my seventh graders, this is hyperbole. This is a very specific use of figurative language, hyperbole. Hyperbole, if I can take you back to seventh grade, is none other than an exaggeration of a point to emphasize or stress its importance. This would be something like, you know, your, st- your stomach's starting to growl right now and you're getting hungry for lunch. I am so hungry I could eat an elephant. That's hyperbole. You're stressing how hungry you are in order to get the point across that we need to go eat. But when you look at verse 42, this is the first hyperbole he throws out at them. If you cause any of these little ones, these children to stumble in the ways of Jesus, and it's you who are the obstacle, it would be best if you just put a great millstone around your neck and threw yourself into the sea. That's the first hyperbole. And so he's connecting a millstone to stumbling. If you cause any of these little ones to stumble, go ahead, tie it around your neck, throw yourself over. What he's asking his disciples and those hearers around him to see is that they are to be attentive to the very obstacles you could be placing before your children. That you could be the obstacle preventing your children from understanding the ways of Jesus, the love of Jesus. We don't hope that that's the case, but guess what? Sometimes we are. Sometimes we are. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. He's asking us to be mindful, to be attentive, to be careful with our hands and our feet and our eyes. So when we look at verse 42, it seems like He's disconnecting 42 from 43 through 50. Then we see 42 and we think, oh, he's talking about how we shouldn't put ourselves in a space or a moment where we are being an obstacle to our children. We throw ourselves over. And then he starts talking about feet, eyes, and hands. But they're connected. 42 is directly connected to 43 through 50. So let me... A pause and sort of throw some questions out as we begin looking at 43 through 50. What are you, you personally doing to invest yourself in the kingdom's disciplines? 
those daily, weekly disciplines that grow you in the ways of Christ, that grow you in the ways of the kingdom. What do you do with your bodies daily? The habits that you have, the heart that you have, the intentions that are involved, the heads using your mind, how are you taking all of that to imitate the ways of Christ? Are your is your body, your habits, your heart, your head imitating Christ's body, his habits, his heart, and his head? They need to be matching. There's plenty of spots where, where Paul reminds the churches that he's writing to, to put on Christ. In other words, we need to be able to step aside and see how we're actually imitating the ways of Jesus. And so here's the warning that Jesus gives to us. And if I could paraphrase it, it's this. If our habits, our hearts, our heads, and our hands don't look like Jesus's, then maybe we are the very obstacles that are preventing children and our children from understanding the ways of Jesus. So let's look at that. Because Jesus, thankfully, doesn't leave us blind. He doesn't uh, uh, leave us in a misdirection, but He gives us great direction and guidance for how we can be a people who are focused on the kingdom's disciplines to be better disciples of His ways. Do you know how many hands that you have in your... Or excuse me, how many bones you have in one hand? Remember that? I was hoping my medical people would know. 27, approximately. 27 bones in one hand. So let's hear this verse in light of 27 bones in one hand and, of course, 54 in all. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut off all 27 of those bones. It is better for you to enter life, and he's talking about eternal life, crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Children, pay attention to how you use your hands. They're very attentive to those things. Dads, they pay attention to how you hold a bat in your hand. Grandparents, how you hold a, a bat in your hand. Once it comes to our own kids, especially Sophie, she will watch your hands as you mix the batter for pancakes. How you hold in one hand and you stir with the other me do it, Daddy. Me do it. I want to do it. So you give her that, and then she mixes that batter. They watch your hands. Even how we express ourselves. Have you ever caught a child at some point imitating how you express yourself? My goodness. You look at them and think, you are your mama. Where did you get that sass? She walked back there so I could say that real quick. Where did you get that? How did you know how to use your hands in that way? Because they are paying attention to our hands. They even know how we touch them. They know the gentleness. They might even know the discipline at times of how we touch them. And so they tend to mimic our hands, knowing that we use them. They paid attention to them, and then they mimic them. They try to hold a bat like us. They try to mix the batter like us. They try to express themselves just like us. And they even try to touch others like we touch them. Now, of course, they don't do this perfectly, of course, because we still have to guide them. 
we still have to give them lessons and reminders of how to use their hands. Yet, at the same time, Jesus is the one who's reminding us to be careful how you use your hands because you might be the obstacle that is preventing them from knowing how Jesus would want them to use their hands. Look at verse 45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame, that's eternal life, than with two feet to be thrown into hell. My children know exactly what I'm about to do when I put on a certain type of shoes. Garland and Ezra, they will see me put on a certain pair of shoes and they say, Daddy, are you going to mow? Yeah, buddy, I am. Or put on a certain type of shoes in the morning. Daddy, we have school today? Yes, we do, bud. They pay attention to what you put on your feet because they have already connected at a young age the shoes you put on your feet and the things that you're about to do. It's absolutely remarkable the connections that a child can make. So if you could walk into the closet at your home right now, you do this in your mind, if you could walk into your closet, what pairs of shoes do you have? Think of all of them. Now, think of the wear that you have on those shoes. Think of the places you've been in those shoes. Also, think of the purpose of those shoes. Regardless of the shoes we choose, we are to teach our children that following Jesus comes in leather Oxfords. They come, it comes in worn out Nikes and that it even our favorite summer sandals. Every shoe is meant to be directed to the ways of Jesus. That our feet have a path in which we are to follow and that is right behind Jesus. That we should be taking time to instill in our children and it doesn't matter what shoes you wear, you are to wear them and to walk in the ways of Christ. Your favorite pair, your least favorite pair, the pair you still can't tie, all the pairs that you have, all are meant to glorify God. Because we need to be reminded of two pass or a passage that takes place in two spots. Isaiah 52, 7, and then Romans 10, 15, where Paul writes, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Well, what's Paul talking about? That the gospel doesn't depend on which pair of shoes we are wearing. We need to take time to teach our children that it doesn't matter which pair you're wearing every single, single time that you put on those shoes, the purpose is to glorify God and exalt Him forever. Now look at verse 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into the unquenchable fire. Just this past week, you've probably noticed as well, because your sinuses are starting to act up, that the trees are blossoming and blooming. We have beautiful oaks right around our house. We've got this incredible Japanese cherry blossom in our front yard. We've got um, these camellias in the backyard, and everything is blossoming, which means the bees are highly active. And so just this past week, we were playing outside and this oak right in our front yard that's blooming and it's throwing out all this pollen. I just happened to walk by it and I heard this buzzing and I look up and there's hundreds of bees in this tree. Hundreds. 
And they're just doing their job. They're pollinating. And so I grabbed the kids. Come here, come here, look at this, look at this. And so we looked up into this tree and we saw these hundreds of bees that are buzzing with excitement at spring is here and they're doing their job. We should be able to pause in our life to give a moment to teach our children to look and see and to notice of God's good creation. Just stop and pause. There's no iPad in their face. There's no other activity that's taking place that's hindering them to see that God's at work even in the midst of creation. Pause and see, look and notice that He is doing something right now. Also, our children know when your eyes aren't on them, don't they? Right, parents, grandparents, teachers, they know when your eyes aren't on them. Sophie is the worst. She did this yesterday. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. Look at me, Daddy. Look, look, look. Our children strive and crave for your attention, your eyes to be on them. So let's take time to find creative ways to give them your attention, to remind them that they are indeed gifts given to us by Christ and that we can teach them that they can run to Jesus at any time because it is He who reminds us that we should not hinder them from coming to Him. And look at verse 50. Salt is good, but if their salt has lost its saltiness, how will it make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That phrase right there, have salt in yourselves. Jesus is tying verse 50 back up to verse 42. Do not be obstacles of your own children of the ways of Jesus. Do not be the barrier, the hindrance of the ways of Jesus. Do not prevent them from knowing the ways of Jesus with how you use your hands, your eyes, and your feet. We need to be conduits or curators. In other words, we need to be in charge of the care of our children as we cultivate them in the ways of Jesus. That's what a curator is. They are taking and organizing a child's life and your own life in order to provide spiritual care for somebody else, a curator. And so now let's shift gears a little. What does this have to do with Palm Sunday? I wanted to hold this off as long as we could So if you could, if you have time to flip over to Matthew 21, I'm going to read this whole triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And this is verse 1 to 14, sorry, 1 to to 11 of of Matthew 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the mountain of Olives, and Jesus sent his two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey. He is tied and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, you shall not, you shall reply to them, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, to a fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They bought brought the donkey and the colt and put on them cloaks. And he, Jesus, sat on them. Many of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him 
and that follow him were shouting, Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirring up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus who has come from Nazareth in Galilee. Here we have this great prophet, this great king, this great priest who's entered into Jerusalem for the last week of his entire life, his earthly life, his earthly ministry. He has taken approximately three years to disciple the very 12 men who have been beside him. And here we have this prophet of peace. Here we have this king who is humble, mounted on a donkey, and and here is this priest who has drawn near to his people. This is a reminder that this king doesn't remove himself from a people, but he draws close. As Hebrew 2, verses 11 and then 14 through 16 say, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. In verse 14, since therefore the ch- children shall, sh- uh, excuse me, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong sla- slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That first time, that first verse sanctifies. He restores and redeems a people. Well, who? He tells us. Those who share in the flesh and blood that Jesus shared in. In other words, as this God took on flesh, He helps we who are in flesh and blood. Not angels. Those who are in flesh and blood. Those with hands. Those with feet. And those with eyes. This King... This prophet, this priest, we lay palms down for is the very same divine God who took on earthly flesh as a man who is sanctifying. Hear this church. He is sanctifying our hands. He is sanctifying our eyes and our feet so that we can be disciplined in his ways. So that we then can be curators, spiritual directors of our own children that we can disciple them in the ways of Jesus so that we can demonstrate for them with our hands how to hold and feel so that we can disciple them how with our feet to walk and to follow Jesus so that we can teach them with our own eyes to see and to notice that the king who passes before us is the one who is embracing the cross for us. That is a difficult task. As we are disciples, disciplined in the ways of Jesus, to then disciple our children in the very same ways, that is a difficult task, but it's the task that we've been called to. So church, may your hands embrace the ways of Jesus this week. May your feet run quickly to Jesus, and may your eyes be enlightened and awakened to the very kingdom that is breaking through right here into our everyday lives. And then teach your children to feel those things, to run after those things, and to see those things this week. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. 
that we can gather on a Palm Sunday to celebrate that the King has come. And He has come knowing that Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus, teach us and direct us for You are our Messiah. You are our King who has taken on flesh in order to redeem us and restore us back to Your Father so that we can cry out as we learned last week, Abba, Daddy, Father, we thank You for Your grace and mercy that has been shown through the very person, the life, the ministry, the work, and the death and resurrection of Your Son. So we celebrate this week. As difficult as it is to watch day by day the task that you had set forth, but how difficult it is to see the things that you went through in order to redeem us back to yourself. And so, Lord, may our hearts see that. May our hands be changed by that, and may our feet be quick to run and embrace the cross with you. Because that is our calling. So sanctify us so that we can spread your ways of your kingdom wherever you have called us. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.